0: Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. This is a very human story. A very relatable story. You'll see why as we read together. Beginning in verse 38, hear the word of the Lord. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Very relatable story. This uh, sibling rivalry, well, it's something that we see in a horrendous way, all the way back, you know, after Eden, after the fall between the first two, first set of siblings, Cain and Abel. Obviously, it continues on, and uh, we feel it very much in our household and anybody who's had a sibling knows all about that, that sibling rivalry and that dynamic. There's other very relatable things as well. Just the, the frustration, the, the grind of work and the frustration of it and how you just want to, to vent that frustration. And if a sibling is anywhere in the vicinity, even if they're unsuspecting, they're going to be, you know, the target for the venting of our frustration. There's just, there's a lot of relatable things. Very, there's, it's not a whole lot of drama in this story. I mean, aside from the obvious that we have God in the flesh here, that's dramatic and that's stunning. But the sibling dynamic and the, the venting of frustration over work that's just too much to bear and trying to get priorities straight. We, we know all of this. We, f- we feel all of this every day ourselves. And I believe that there is an awesome truth that we need to consider, a a life truth, life principle, that I find very clear in this passage, passage and I find very compelling. And I believe, I'm praying, that you will as well and that it will affect your everyday walk with Jesus. Before we begin, let's pray father we do thank you for your word we have it here open before us we are ready to hear you speak we're gathered together on on this the lord's day we have salvation and and life we've we have faith by your word we're justified by it sanctified by it too It's uh, light for our darkened eyes. We're we're simple, but your word makes us wise. Your word is such a gift to us. We believe that, and we boldly confess it, even before the world. But you know, and, and we know very well also, Father, that we tend very much to neglect your word. We don't treat it practically as being of uppermost priority in our day-to-day lives e- even when we attend the the preaching of your word we we take it for granted too and we think it's just another thing a thing we do i pray father that you would shed light today on the power of your word and also father on what communion with you through your word really is what it's about what this communion with you accomplishes in us and I pray father the um, the priority of your word in our lives would be raised exponentially and we would be determined father every morning to open your word and to See your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, there. And behold your glory in His face. Change us. Do a great work in our hearts. Give to us your Holy Spirit. Because this message will just... The Word will pass us by. Or we'll, we'll deflect it or ignore it. If we don't have your Spirit, we won't understand it without your Spirit. So according to your grace in Jesus, pour out your Spirit upon us. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. I think that you can see something very clearly just by a cursory read over this passage that makes all the difference for how we understand it and makes all the difference for how we understand what communion with God on that personal level is. Just by a cursory cursory glance at this passage, you can see that Martha is serving and Mary is being served. Right? It's clear. Martha is the one serving and Mary is being served. Martha is waiting on Jesus and Jesus is waiting on Mary. So... Martha's giving the portion and Mary has chosen and is receiving the good, the better portion. Martha is serving and Mary is being served. And if we will get that from this text, if we will understand that, it will help us tremendously in understanding what personal communion with God through His Word is. All my life long I have heard that I must do my devotions. Do you know what I mean by that expression? Do devotions. I don't normally, I don't know that if I if I ever have used it from the pulpit. Probably somewhere along the way. But it is a, a very common expression. In fact, if there is a, an expression that would be Christianese, this is it you know that we must do devotions. So uh, probably most of you having been brought up in this church or this kind of church would be familiar with that terminology and with that expression. And yesterday I did a little informal survey on Facebook and was asking our church put it on our church page, you know, if like this status if you know what I mean by the expression do devotions. And a number of people liked it and there were some that were bad and didn't like it, though they knew what the expression is. I know they know. I I saw who saw it, so I know that there were some out there who didn't like it, even though they should have. A couple of pastors that I know should have liked it, because I know they know it. What do we mean by that expression? All my life long, I've heard that I must do devotions, and I have felt guilty if I have missed them, and I have felt good about myself, I guess, in a lot of ways, for a number of years anyway, if I did do my devotions. So what do we mean by that? What we mean by doing personal devotions is simply necessary private communion with God. Necessary private communion with God. And we do devotions by reading God's Word, meditating upon it, and praying to the Lord. I don't know if I know how the name got started or the term doing devotions. Um, I mean, reading and meditating and praying are things that we do and they are aspects of devotion. So maybe that's where we got do, uh do devotions from. I'm not really sure. Sounds good, though. Sounds plausible. But I have a problem with doing devotions. Not the, the fulfillment of doing devotions. But I have a problem with expressing what our communion with God is personally by that terminology, do devotions. I, I don't think it's very helpful because first of all it's Christianese and Christianese is always weird. When I talk about, when I mention Christianese, I'm talking about extra biblical language, language you can't find in the Bible that we have adopted into our reflexive vocabulary, use it all the time, throw it out, and it doesn't always express very well what we mean by it. It doesn't express the Bible very well by what we actually mean. I mean, we're talking about personal communion with God, but I don't think doing devotions really gets at what it is. It's weird. Unbelievers won't understand what you're talking about. I was talking to... Janen briefly on the phone yesterday, and she was asking about, you know, my post on Facebook there, and she had mentioned that when she has thrown out that term around people who don't believe, you know, when she was in high school and such, they would look at her weird, like, you're gonna do what? Some, is that some kind of cultish thing that I need to run from? So, Christianese tends to be weird, and so that way it's not helpful, but I also think, that it doesn't help us at the start of doing devotions or when we've actually accomplished doing devotions. It doesn't help us at the start or at the end because it doesn't do very it doesn't give me the proper motivation. I'm not really compelled to do devotions in a proper heartfelt way by this terminology because I think of it as something that I must do what I must do. And I want to ask you a question. Do you understand personal communion with God as serving God or being served? Do you understand personal communion with God as something that you give or something that you receive? Now, I know that's not a very helpful question because I'm creating a false dichotomy. Right there. It's not an either or. It's not giving or receiving. It's both and it's and. It would be like me asking, do you think of breathing as inhaling or exhaling? Well, that's it's not an either or. It's both and. But one of them is first. One of them is first. Right? And it's the same way in our personal communion with God. It is giving and it's receiving, but one of them is primary. One of them is first. And I think from this text, it's very clear which one it is. So do you think of your personal communion with God primarily as giving to God? Or what you need to receive from God daily and what you need to receive from Him desperately? Do you think of it primarily as serving Him or primarily as being served? And again, from the activity of Mary and Martha, from the words of Jesus here, I think it's very clear which one communion with God is primarily. Again, it's clear from this text, Martha is serving and Mary is being served. But if I think of doing my devotions as something I do, primarily as something that I give to God, primarily as my service to Him, I'm not going to be very motivated. I'm going to think of it as another rule to fulfill, another work to accomplish, and I'm going to be more motivated to watch hockey fights on YouTube than do devotions. I don't know what your distraction is, but that's... That's the way my sinful male and Canadian heart, that's the way my heart goes. Watch hockey fights on YouTube. Or if I had said, you know, we would rather watch paint dry sometimes than this, because we think of it as a task, a duty, and a chore, we would rather watch paint dry. And I, I know you can all relate to that feeling. Also, we have trouble not only at the start with the motivation, but at the end. Because when we think of personal communion with God as something primarily that I do, a service I give to God, well, I feel a twinge more righteous when, I, when I've done them, when I've completed them, don't I? Don't you? Don't you think? Check. I've fulfilled it. I've done it. We, we actually feel like God should now reward us and commend us like he owes us, which is really weird thinking. You know that the Christian mind, this mind caught between heaven and earth, this battleground of the flesh and the spirit, is a, a bizarre place to live when you start congratulating yourself for doing devotions. That's what the Pharisees wanted. That's what they did. They took their devotions out of the prayer closet and to the street corner because they were tired of not getting any congratulations. They wanted people to see. They wanted people to pat them on the back. And when we want some kind of congratulations or we feel good about ourselves for having done our duty and fulfilled this task, it's basically like, okay, now that I've turned my face to God, I'm going to turn my back to Him for a big, well-deserved, Pat, right here, Lord, you owe me, you owe me that pat on the back. That's our self-righteousness. Being self-satisfied by this thing that we have done. What you are doing when you are engaging in personal communion with God through His Word is you're coming to the table that God has set and eating the meal that God has prepared. When is the last time the chef came out of the back after you finished a juicy, succulent steak and said, my compliments to the guest. We don't expect congratulations from the chef. If you don't eat meat, I feel sorry for you, by the way. He doesn't say, my compliments to the guest. We say, my compliments to the chef on the good job that he has done, this excellent meal that he has prepared. When you have communion with God, God is serving you. You are coming to the table that He has prepared. You are eating the meal that He is giving to you. And all the gratitude and all the glory goes to Him. The only people that I ever congratulate for finishing their meal are four years old and under. So we still do that at my house. Good job. You ate for once in your life. eating their supper is a rare thing. But us, we're we're not expecting a pat on the back for eating a meal, are we? So there's trouble at the start with motivation and trouble at the end, I think, with that expression. Now, you don't have to drop it. I'm I'm really, I'm kind of exaggerating. I'm making a, a bigger deal out of this thing than it is. But for me, it plays into my legalistic tendencies. So if you don't drop the lingo at least drop the thinking. Drop the thinking that says, I did something. You owe me now, Lord. I ate what you had to give, but you owe me. You know that, right? Drop that thinking completely. When we do devotions, God is the speaker and you are the hearer. God is the mover and the shaker. And we, unmoved and unshaken by the world, are being moved and shaken by the living God. When we have communion with God through His Word, He is the potter and we are the clay that He is molding. He is the vine dresser wielding His divine shears and we are simply branches on the vine that He is pruning. Our communion with God doesn't add anything to Him. It adds plenty good to us and takes away a lot of unnecessary and sinful things. Again, our text says that Martha served and and Mary was being served. Martha wants to wait on Jesus. Mary wants Jesus to wait on her. Martha is determined to, to meet a need. But Mary is the one who understands that Mary needs. Martha is serving out of her resources. Mary understands that she doesn't have anything to give until she first receives. Martha is preparing a portion for Jesus. Mary knows that her portion is Jesus. Martha is troubled about many things. Mary is consumed with the only necessary thing. Now, Martha, our text says, does understand something fundamental about Jesus rightly. And we see that by what she calls Him. She says, Lord. But her follow-up words after Lord betrays a deep misunderstanding in her heart. Because she calls Jesus Lord, and then what does she do? She berates Him. She asks this question, Don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? And it's a rhetorical question. Of course you care, Jesus. But really what she means is, of course you're supposed to care, Jesus. If he does, why hasn't he instructed Mary to help her? So it's obvious to Martha that Mary should be helping and Jesus should be telling her to, and she demands that her Lord do it. Tell her to help and Mary get to work. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Martha is speaking out of her exhaustion and out of her frustration. But notice Jesus is not hard on her at all. I think a lot of us in here can probably relate to Martha, especially the women. I know that I've seen this in my family, in my household, and I've seen it in uh, other parts of my family that um i i've sometimes i've seen that men can sit better than women and this isn't to say that men are necessarily being lazy although there's a lot of lazy men but men can sit better i've just know it's a stereotype i'm sure but probably generally true that a man can put something off better than a woman if a woman sees something in the house that needs to be done She can't rest and she can't sit still until it gets done, until it's finished. Stereotype again. If you're an exception to the rule either way, then, you know, good on you. But this is Martha's issue. She can't rest. She can't sit sit still. And so she's frustrated that her sister, she is sitting still and she is resting. She is sitting rather passively in the sense that not bad, but she's receiving. One is very active and one is is receiving, one's giving, one's receiving, one's serving and one's being served. But Jesus he does, to the person who can't sit still, who's always busy and hectic and all of that, he's not hard on Martha. He's not look how tenderly he speaks to her. Now, the way that she used his name, Lord, was a mask to how she truly felt, right? Lord, what is wrong with you? Basically, Uh, She used that name, but it was masking how she felt. The way that he uses her name reveals what he truly feels. Because Jesus never masks anything. He doesn't ever pretend love or put it on. He truly feels this tenderness in his heart toward her. And he says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. I get the strong impression from this text that this is par for the course for Martha. That this is not an isolated incident. And she is not acting out of character. I think that this she has this tendency. And you can see a little bit more of it, a little bit, come out in John chapter 11. Um, when Jesus comes after Lazarus has been sick, who is the first to run to Jesus when she hears that He's coming. It's Martha. And who sits and waits for Him in the house? It's Mary. I think this is their character. So Martha's not acting out of character. It's not that these pressures are unusually putting frustration into her. These pressures are revealing anxieties that are already in her heart. And listen... When we vent frustration and we vent anger at people in our houses and they say, what did I do? And then you have to come up with a reason for your scowl or your shout or your, you know, angry word. Often we put the blame on, I have a headache, just had a rough day. But we're misunderstanding something and we're not confessing rightly. You see, the pressures of the day aren't putting frustration in. They're just scratching at the surface to show the frustration, the anxiety, and the troubled heart that's there. And so Martha has all of this and all of these things that she has to do in her mind are are too big and too pressing for her to ignore and put aside. All of these things these activities, the busyness of her schedule, this is commanding her attention. And she is complying completely. Oblivious. She is completely oblivious to the fact that there could be something that is more needful for her to pay attention to. It's not evil things distracting Martha. I mean, that can happen. Evil things do, here and there, distract us away from God. But we emphasize a lot that the idols that we build, we build out of good things. It's good things made ultimate things. And that's what Martha has done. She's taken these duties and these tasks which require her attention and she has made them ultimate and she has put them, the completion of them, before everything else. Again, oblivious to the fact that something is more important for her. And this is what we do. We get distracted by the good things. There's papers to grade and the exams to prepare for. There's dinner to prepare. There's kids demanding that you prepare the dinner. And then there's kids to discipline for demanding that you prepare the dinner. There's the car that needs fixing. There's the grass that needs mowing. There's the kitchen that needs cleaning. There's the games that we need to attend. There's the home project that we need to finish. There's VBS to organize. Have we organized VBS? I'm sure there's a lot we still have to do on that. Requires our attention. Jesus says you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. And it wasn't giving, and it wasn't serving. It was receiving, and it was being served. Martha wants to serve. Mary wants to be served first. Martha wants to wait on Jesus. That's good. Mary wants Jesus to wait on her. That's better. Martha wants to give. Mary wants to receive first. And that's better. Mary is right. Not because giving to Jesus is wrong, but because receiving from Jesus is more needful there is nothing that you need more than listening to christ there is nothing that you need more than seeing the glory of god shining in that singular face the face of jesus christ there's nothing more needful and that's not only true in our daily lives our you know through the the rest of the week monday through saturday saturday it's necessary on sunday too there's nothing more needful there's nothing that we should allow to get in the way of attending the worship of god and the preaching of his word i don't think we love preaching we value preaching we love the word we value the word we are all chapel bible church we love the bible we believe the bible We know we need to listen to the Bible. It's the Word of God, inerrant, infallible, perfectly preserved for us as people. I think still we downplay the Word of God in the preaching of His Word. We undermine it. We don't think it's as important as it is. You see, what you and I need to do, here's the doing part. Here's the doing part. You need to put yourself, with every opportunity you have, in the position where God is pouring out. Do you hear me? You need to put yourself in the position where God is pouring out. You can't come to God and you can't receive Christ any way that you please. So this notion that people have, Leslie saw someone on the street a few Sundays ago. She said, I want you to come to church. And the person said, me, church. And they, you know, started talking about this is my church, you got, got the creation, i got nature, etc., etc. God is not ministering Christ in creation. How does God minister Christ? Through His Word, through the preaching of His Word, uh, through the, the Lord's Supper. And that's why we must attend the Lord's Day service. Every opportunity that we have to attend and why we shouldn't let good things, even good things, come in the way. And of course, I understand people have caregiver obligations and they have health issues and they have career calling and things like that. But I want you to understand something. I want I, If your thinking needs to be revolutionized on this, I want it to be revolutionized. and I want it desperately. I think that this is fundamental to the Christian life. If, if you think that the Christian life is primarily you giving and God receiving, you misunderstand God. You misunderstand yourself. You misunderstand the Bible, the Christian life. You misunderstand the church. You misunderstand your daily walk with God. You misunderstand heaven itself. The Christian life is not primarily you giving to God. It's you receiving from God. That's the gospel. We are beggars and God is rich in what we need and we need it desperately. God is the one who arranges, accomplishes and applies all of our salvation. What I'm saying is he does it. He gives it. He is the author. He is the finisher. All things are from him, through him, to him. So when we have communion with God, it's not primarily me serving, it's me being served. Not first me giving, but God giving, and me receiving. Now, wait, you say, what about Jesus' own words in Acts as Paul recalled them? It is more blessed to give than to receive. I know. I hear you. Paul was talking about this relationship. The horizontal. In the neighbor-to-neighbor relationship, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Giving is first. Receiving, if it happens, that's second. But in our relationship with God, it is not more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to receive than to give. Don't we bless God? Yes, we bless God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Don't we love God? Yes, we do. We love because He first loved us. Don't we toil and don't we struggle? Yes, we do. We toil and we struggle with all His energies that He works powerfully within us. That's Colossians 1.29. Don't we will His work and don't we do His work? Yes, we do. But God works in you both to will and to work His good pleasure. Philippians chapter 2. Don't you see? All of our giving, all of our serving, all of it is response to God. God is the giver. We are the receivers. He wants to serve you. He wants to minister His Son by His Spirit through His Word to you. God wants to give. So this is what we do. The alarm goes off. We shower. Get our coffee. Whatever. And we think, you know what I need to do? There's this other thing or other things that I also need to do I know what I need to do but I can't I'll just put it off put it to the side and we have it backward open the word of God to be served from the mouth of the living God come to the table that he has set Eat the meal that He has prepared. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Psalm 81. That's our God. He gives, He gives, and He gives, and He gives it all not begrudgingly. He is the infinite God overflowing and outpouring ministering His Son by His Spirit through His Word to you. Pouring into you. And it couldn't be, and He wouldn't have it any other way than this. This is our God. The God who gives out of the abundance of His heart because He loves to give. That's why you should attend the preaching of His Word because He desires to minister His Son to you. That's why you should celebrate the Lord's Supper because He he wills that you partake of Christ through the Lord's Supper. That's why you should make it your, your joy every day to open the Word of God. Because God wants to give to you. Martha served. Mary was being served. And Jesus said she has chosen the one necessary thing the good portion and it will not be taken away from her let's pray father we we know your word is a gift we don't know what a gift it is you promise in your word that you revive our souls and you enlighten our eyes you make the simple wise through your word through your word we have life through your word we have faith through your word we have strength it's by your word that we endure and we persevere we are completely and utterly dependent upon it. And we rejoice that You have given it to us and we give You thanks. Now I pray that our appreciation and our understanding of what You do in our lives through Your Word, I pray that this understanding would be multiplied, it would be ramped up. We would be absolutely convinced that we need Your Word. And I pray, Father, that the, the effect would be very practical this week for these people, for teachers, for students, for the retired, for the factory worker. Every day, I pray that we would all make Your Word a priority. And we would rejoice to be in it. And we would rejoice because through Your Word, You serve us and we receive from You. Pray that You would accomplish this in our lives. In Christ's name, Amen.